0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to GradCast. You are listening to the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students and the only show at Western for graduate students by graduate students. Today, we are interviewing Ethan Jackson, who is a PhD student in computer science. And he's going to tell us about a very pressing topic today, which is machine learning. And you might have heard about this in the news with the advent of self-driving cars and Alexa, for example. Uh, but first, let me introduce myself. My name is Nick.
1: And I am Yimin Chen, the co-host tonight. So, Ethan, Nick mentioned you're into machine learning. You're a PhD student here at Western in computer science. So, I've heard of machine learning before, I think. is, But can you explain what the connection is between machine learning and artificial intelligence, AI? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So... I think, first of all, a lot of people have this misconception that machine learning and artificial intelligence are the same thing. That's what I thought. Right, and it's not. Um, I think even within computer science, uh, as researchers ourselves, we tend to brand things as artificial intelligence that really aren't what you know, most people's idea of artificial intelligence would be. Uh, when, you know, every I think when most people think of AI, uh, they're thinking of you know Skynet from Terminator, or they're thinking of you know something crazy like the Matrix, or you know this omniscient being that basically can you know replicate the sum of human intelligence and replace us basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Um, what machine learning is, on the other hand, is sometimes we draw inspiration from ideas that could be working towards artificial intelligence, um, but really our at best are, are again, yeah, just drawing inspiration from uh, things like how the brain works to process information, or even things like um, how ant colonies work together to solve problems.
1: Okay. So w- would it be sort of accurate to say that machine learning is sort of the, the nuts and bolts that you might eventually couple together in intelligent sort of artificial Thing together from
2: yeah, I would I would say so. So, and the the basic idea of machine learning again is uh, just that we want to develop tools that we can use to solve problems that are usually uh, seen as kind of too complex for conventional methods. Something again, for example, that we know humans can do very well is well, mostly well is drive drive a vehicle, right? So. Most of us, at least, are born with this natural ability to be able to navigate an environment and we can control something like a vehicle to be able to get us through that environment safely. Mm -hmm. Uh, The challenge of implementing a computer system to do that uh, may not necessarily be artificially intelligent, but we have to develop some way so that the computer systems can learn how to mimic the behavior that leads to safe and, you know, accurate driving.
0: And how exactly does that learning work? Because, you know, obviously it's not just like, you know, a, a perfect like mimic of a human brain, for example, like how how it, how do you train a machine? How does that even work? Yeah, exactly. So, in order to train a machine, we have a an
2: an entire pantheon of algorithms that can be used that basically, in some sense, have to translate input information or incoming data uh, into some kind of decisions or actions. So. Uh, when we think about the task of driving a vehicle, for example, uh, we could frame that as a what we call a computer vision problem in which we're using some strategy, and we can talk a little bit more about what those strategies are, but we have to have some strategy of um, either telling the computer how to take visual input and translate that, that into driving actions, or we have to describe some algorithm so that the computer can learn on its own how to say, for example, look at past examples or past videos of um, information coming in, of video information, and how that would translate to uh, safe driving. And those algorithms really are the the crux of what machine learning is all about. Can we dis- can we come up with an algorithm that allows the computer to teach itself how to drive?
0: And 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 so, like you kind of mentioned, like old sort of examples. Like, are you talking about, like, just millions of examples that have happened? Like, for, ex- for instance, like, you know, a car is driving down the street and it's turning right, for example, and it and it's raining. So it's going to select a certain speed to make that turn. Right. Will you will you somehow program like every turn that cars have made or something like how? So it's, you can
2: see if we try to even describe, um, you know, what is optimal driving behavior? There are so many different things that have to be considered. It's this insanely uh, multi, multi-variable objective uh, or multi-objective problem. Um, and the challenge is to create systems that can take all of these different variables into account. Um, and these systems are, are actually immensely complex, and I think we're a really long way from achieving perfect systems. But um, even if we boil the problem or reduce the problem to something simple like uh, choosing the correct speed, Right. So you know, regardless of where we're going in the car or um, you know, what, you know, what turns that we want to be making, um, say our decision is just how fast do we want to go. One way that we could do that is to say, well, why don't we just record a uh, video of you know, lots of different cars driving down the street, observing their environment, and we'll also record the actions that drivers take while they're doing that driving. So on one hand, we would have a long sequence of video that contains all of the visual information about that time in the car. uh, And then we could also record what the driver is doing with the accelerator and the brake, for example. So what we would eventually want to do is create a system that is able to take video input as, as information and then make a decision about what speed to drive the car. And machine learning algorithms can be used to try to find that relationship between what are we seeing and what should we be doing.
0: So what you're describing here really reminds me of the term big data, like like data so big that humans can't even possibly imagine to begin sort of analyzing it on their own Um, just because there's so many variables. Is this kind of what machine learning like aims to do or hopes to do? Is that like its main goal is to interpret like big data sets?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So if we kind of boil it down even further to uh, kind of its nuts and bolts, this really is what machine learning is all about. We have these immensely large data sets from which we would like to either gain some insight or use to make some concrete decisions and we have to use algorithms to be able to pour through that data and identify the relationships that we're uh, interested in extracting Uh, so what you're actually talking about in terms of big data uh, usually boils down into what we call supervised machine learning and these are ways that we can tell a computer system what kinds of relationships we're looking for.
1: So basically we tell the computer this is a goal, this is what optimization sort of looks like, go out and figure out the best way to get there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Is that what you're working on? Can you tell us a little bit about your specific project here at Western?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my current work for my PhD is involved with a specific set of problems that are usually usually associated with reinforcement learning. Mm-hmm. So these are a subset of machine learning problems in which there's usually some kind of artificial agent operating in an environment. So the example of training in a you know an autonomous vehicle to navigate its environment, which is really you know the streets of London for example. Okay. Um, this could be framed as a reinforcement learning problem because we're trying to uh, create. Artificial agents that are rewarded for what we define as being positive behavior, and maybe we reprimand them or discourage them from doing things that we see or define as being negative behavior. Um, so th- these types of reinforcement learning problems exist, uh, you know, in all kinds of all kinds of domains. And the interesting thing about them is that, yeah, we're usually talking about uh, some notion of reward that we can use for reinforcement.
1: So it sort of sounds like, you know, the, the way you might picture raising a child if, you know, you, you reward them maybe with a cookie for bad behavior. Uh, sorry, 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 for good behavior. Yeah. And uh, for bad behavior, you, um, I don't know, make them stand in the corner, something like yeah. that. Except in, in this case, a child is a computer algorithm, a, yeah. a, a program.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and even further on that point, uh, I think there's, you know, it's reasonable to say that we know that the the brain itself works to some degree like this so learning in the brain uh is partly driven by uh reward systems that are built in that are you know forever from evolution mm-hmm. are built into us and uh behaviors that are that you know release a, you know positive say like dopamine mm-hmm. there's a dopamine right. release associated with that thing yeah
0: I, are- I actually studied dopamine myself and, okay. the, and the way that you described machine learning just now with um, sort of like learning by sort of positive associations and avoiding by negative associations is exactly yeah you know it's exactly the way that the human brain works to make decisions and learn.
2: Yeah and the, so the kind of cool thing is like you know you know probably us as grad students maybe we get a little bit of a dopamine hit uh, from doing really <laughs> well on an exam. Um, but the the cool thing about that is that this this reward system that we have built in seems to be more or less independent of the tasks we're trying to achieve uh, so for us you know maybe we you know feel really good when we do well on an exam but another person might uh, feel you know really good or really rewarded when you know they hit a home run in the World Series for example mm-hmm. uh, so these there are these kind of general, uh, reward systems that work differently in different people and deliver similar reward even if the task is actually quite different. Uh, And this is what we're starting to try to take advantage of uh, using our algorithms.
1: So in a way, are you trying to basically make a computer artificial model of sort of how the brain functions? using these sorts of um, sort of teaching learning pathways?
2: Yeah, so the brain is forever an inspiration for computer scientists because we kind mm-hmm. of see it as the ultimate computing device. It's the most complex, most powerful computer that we know of. Um, so certainly, yeah, we're working towards being able to create you know, artificial systems or algorithms that you know, maybe one day could faithfully mimic the behavior of the human brain. But I, I would say a little bit more reservedly for now, uh, that we draw it as a source of inspiration and try to observe. Well, what is it? What is the brain really good at doing? And can we leverage what we know or what we think we know about the brain uh, to implement computer systems that can do similar things?
1: So, kind of an I- intersection between like neuroscience and uh, computer science.
2: Yeah. So personally, I, I, you know, I will n- would never brand myself as a neuroscientist, but I really like to pay attention to what neuroscientists are doing, and it's really interest. It's really interesting to see. Um, some of the interdisciplinary work where neuroscientists are taking advantage of um, progress in machine learning to be able to better explain the brain. And on the other hand, computer scientists are paying attention to what, especially in computational computational neuroscience, uh, things like very low level mapping of visual systems and gaining insights there to see how we can build more faithful, um, useful, models of computer vision so that we can process video and images more effectively.
0: Well, I got to say, it's very comforting knowing that people are paying attention to neuroscience. (laughs) Um, But I will say that neuroscience also pays attention to computer science. There's a a whole field of neuroscience, yeah, computational neuroscience, which aims to model the brain in computational ways. Now, one thing I'm wondering is, we're talking about machine learning and it sounds wondrous. I mean, it sounds like perfect already. I mean, why do we even need to change it? What are some, I guess, problems that we have with machine learning right now? What are some things that are people like you are trying to improve on there? Right, so
2: I'll give you a little bit of a, of a history of where machine learning has been over the past you know, 20 to 30 years. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll actually start kind of, you know, in a reverse cl- chronological order. So mm-hmm. the things that we're able to do right now are largely enabled by immense progress in computer vision. Um, and that is the ability for computer programs uh, to identify patterns, objects, um, just different features and images, and then do useful things with those. Um, so in the early 2010s, there was a huge, huge push to developing and furthering the use of uh, artificial neural networks just to see how well we could get them to work on doing uh, image classification tasks. So the idea was we would like to be able to show a picture to a computer program and have it tell us what the contents of that image are. Uh, This is something that's very, very easily doable now. And this is largely thanks to a huge, increase in computing power that led to pretty simple algorithms I mean the the people who work on these might not tell you that they were so simple Um, but the ideas are actually really straightforward um, to be able to write these to generate these computer programs that can distinguish very very accurately the contents of an image and this was largely driven by the availability of graphics processing units or GPUs in Mm -hmm. in computers Uh, these were not invented for machine learning, they were invented, marketed for video games.
1: Yeah. Now, Ethan, I just want to check in here, this computer vision stuff, machine vision, is this related to um, all the times when I'm like on a website and to prove that I'm not a computer, I have to identify like street signs in a bunch of images, things like that?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really funny example, but I'm I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, what's
1: the connection there?
2: So what you're doing (laughs) um, is... You're, assuming I do it right yeah right assuming you do you you do it right uh-huh. and of course there's a reward for you to do it correctly <laughs> um, you gain access to the website right um, but you're you know you're providing free labor to probably Google um, to help them train their image classification software or at least to validate it or they can you know see whether you're being truthful or not in your <laughs> in your work
1: okay. So is this related to that um, that supervised mode of machine learning we're talking about? That's exactly where, right. Yeah. So so there are we know what the right and wrong answers are, and we're sort of just checking based on what the machine is saying or teaching the machine what the right and wrong answer yeah, is. Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
2: So this this is where most of the progress in computer vision came from was this idea of uh, doing supervised machine learning on a massive, massive scale. So the basic idea here is that we want to tune this algorithm so that uh, if we show it a picture of something that it hasn't seen before, uh, it'll be able to make a best guess at what it thinks this thing is. The way this is trained is by um, basically changing the parameters of the algorithm over and over and over again to reinforce um, strong connections mm-hmm. where an image is correctly associated with its category. And you're doing that for, for these systems. So if it's saying, show, you, know, you look at a picture um, and you're asked to identify all of the street signs, you're giving it a positive example of what a street sign in a picture looks like and it should be able to use that in the future.
1: Okay, sort of a little bit like how we learn, right? We, we see a whole bunch of street signs and then even if it's a street sign we had never seen before, we can recognize the fact that it's a street sign based on our history.
2: Exactly, exactly. Oh, right. Neat.
0: Yeah. So going back a bit further, what were some of the f- foundations for leading up to this? right image recognition
2: right so computer scientists have been working on computer vision for quite some time but if we go further back than you know say the last 15 or 20 years uh, the computing power just it really wasn't there uh, to be able to process images on a large scale so some of the roots of machine learning problem uh some of the roots of machine learning go back to uh what i would describe as kind of classical combinatorial problems uh, and these are problems that are usually defined in computer science textbooks nowadays, where the the number of possible solutions to those problems usually far exceeds what you can reasonably do in um, you know some normal amount of computing time. So one really early example of that is this thing called the traveling salesman problem and the basic idea is that if you're given a map with a bunch of cities on it and you want to find the optimal way of visiting each city uh, without visiting uh, anyone twice uh, if you look at a map and do that with just a handful of cities it'd be pretty easy for you to plan a route it's not that complicated Uh, but as you increase the number of cities planning that optimal route has this kind of combinatorial explosion and Uh, it's very, very, very time-consuming to find the optimal solution to that problem. So some of the earliest machine learning algorithms were used to find approximate solutions to those problems that were kind of just good enough. And the way that it would do that is by finding ways to consider uh, either partial or approximate solutions in kind of competition with each other so that we can find ways of working towards solutions that are getting better and
0: better. And what are some of the problems that machine learning faces now i would say that we're honestly we're
2: struggling with embracing the explosion of computational power and understanding how to leverage it so you know the world today is seeing just an explosion in the raw amount of computing power in terms of the number of like processors or graphics processors available uh and we i you know not I would say, not desperately, but uh, what researchers in machine learning are trying to do is to develop algorithms that can leverage this computing power uh, to do things that we've
0: so far been unable to do. Is that sort of the focus of your research or are you kind of looking something different?
2: So what I'm doing specifically is looking at ways that we can revisit some kind of old ideas and old algorithms, um, but really think a little bit more about how we should be optimizing these algorithms or how we should be optimizing or rewarding behavior um, and trying these these different ideas in the hopes that we can achieve performance that we haven't been able to see before. So are
1: there different ways to optimize something? I mean, based on the word itself, you would think that there's, you know, one right answer kind of. Idea to it, but uh, it sounds like there's many ways to get there, or there's many potential different
2: yeah like answers. Exactly. Yeah? So even even if it's a problem that's kind of as clear cut as finding the optimal route between cities, mm-hmm. uh, there there's there is an optimal solution. It's just very difficult to find it. Uh, but more often, there just isn't a very clearly defined optimal. For example, right. Right. It's like again, if we think about um, an autonomous vehicle what is the optimal behavior right we can kind of sit here and say well it should get to where it's going and it should probably not kill anybody on its way but beyond that there are so many different operations that it needs to be able to perform we can't necessarily say that uh, there is a single optimal way for it to do what it needs to do
1: right so a little like you know when google maps tries to chart you a route and it could be either you know least traffic or you know, least amount of time, least distance—all these things are different versions of what is optimal, exactly. depending on what your situation is. Exactly. So, okay.
2: depending on the problem, you may have you know a huge number of different parameters that you want to use for optimization. But really, in the real world and in an complex application, it's you can't even enumerate what those objectives are. So we have to find other ways uh, of trying to develop these artificial agents to perform well, and using things like a reward signal. Um, is, is one of those ways.
1: So what is it that you're using to sort of test out your models for optim- uh, optimization? Is there something you're testing these on?
2: Yeah absolutely. So what I'm working on right now is leveraging this really cool idea called novelty search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is hope- uh, what we hope for it to be is a general way for kind of rewarding the behavior of artificial intelligence as they learn to operate in their environment. Um, so one of the classical ways that people like to test these kinds of ideas of artificial agents operating in their environment is to play video games. Oh, cool. So I, I like to joke that when I'm most of what I'm doing with my PhD thesis is trying to teach a computer, or trying to get a program, a computer program, how to teach itself to play Pac-Man.
0: <laughs> Pac Man or Mrs. Pac Man? Oh, it's actually Ms. Pac Man. Oh, Ms. Pac Man. Yeah. So you are
2: using Ms. Pac Man? Ms. Pac Man, specifically.
1: And why is that?
2: Well, the real boring answer is because <laughs> it's the one that came with the software package. Uh, but, I mean, you know, girls in video games are cool. So why not use Ms. Pac Man? Right.
1: I mean, surely there's got to be some history behind that. Maybe for another episode.
0: Yeah. She's the feminist icon we didn't know we needed. <laughs> exactly. So we, we have about five minutes left on the show, and we want to ask you now a bit, a, a few questions that maybe are a bit more off the cuff about artificial intelligence sure. that we think our listeners might be, might be interested about. We have like these ideas about um, AI in science fiction. Um, what are your sort of thoughts? What do, what do you think the most advanced place we can go with AI, do you think?
2: Well, I think, I mean, really, our imaginations are going to be the limits. And at least for the imminent future, I think what we're going to see is our applications are going to be motivated by trying to mimic human behavior. I think this excites people. Uh, I think it scares some people and probably rightfully so. Um, But over the next 10, 20 years, we're going to be seeing things like, I mean, like Alexa, for example, that you notice it's kind of personal assistants that are going to be sounding more human, interacting with us in ways that are more human. Uh, we're going to be seeing pushes towards making these autonomous vehicles really more statistically safe than human drivers. And we're going to be achieving uh, these these or working towards achieving these goals uh, to really replace things that we think of as only humanly possible, but using computers. Um, up until recently, a lot of people thought that the game of Go, for example, right. is like a much, much more complex board game than, than chess is. Uh, many researchers thought that we were decades away from beating human performance there, but it's already happened mm-hmm. and it's you know largely due to a very, very dedicated uh, effort towards achieving these goals.
1: But surely there are you know potential problems or downsides or you know unforeseen eventualities when we're trying to mimic human behavior. Um, I remember hearing about, I think it was a Microsoft project. They created a bot that could uh, learn from tweets and then send out its own tweets. I think it was called Tay. Um, it was active for something like twenty-four hours before it learned uh, all about just insane conspiracy theories and turned into um, this online persona that was <laughs> spewing like anti-Semitism oh, and <laughs> you know <laughs> trolling people. Is that really? just what we might expect when we try to mimic you know, human behavior with all its you know, warts and all.
2: That's a really good point. Um, I think what's, what's interesting is that you know, a machine learning model or algorithm is only as good as the data that we provide it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that example says more about Twitter than it says about machine learning. Um, and unfortunately, it seems that you know, and if we look at the makeup of social media now, Uh, Negativity and polarization seems to be the norm.
1: So, I mean, what is your take on this? Are are you more sort of optimistic about our eventual sort of robot overlords? Or, Hmm. you know, do do you think they will come in peace or do you think they will learn from our darker nature?
2: I think we're going to do some really interesting things uh, using machine learning and using, you know, what we're calling artificial intelligence artificial intelligence. I think that's going to make our lives easier, more convenient, You know, bring economic prosperity. Uh, I just hope that we manage the changes well, right? I think especially with respect to the economy where the, you know this conversation really could be about automation. And when we talk about automation, we're talking about replacing human labor. Um, so I'm optimistic that we can leverage that for good and that we can use that to benefit everybody. But I also obviously have concerns that uh, much of the progress in this field is driven by corporate interests, and you know, just because something sells well doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be useful for humanity.
1: Well, it's at times like this where you know, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park always comes to my mind, where he says um, that the scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, no one stopped to question whether or not they should. Right. Is, is this totally a potential in AI?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do
1: you question yourself uh, whether or not you should be doing this line of work?
2: Sometimes, yeah. yeah? I mean, it's, it's super interesting, and I think it's going to happen either way. Um, it's fun to be a small part of it, but I do share a lot of the concerns, especially with respect to uh, economy and privacy, too
1: okay well thank you very much for coming on gradcast with us today ethan it was a very stimulating conversation great thank you and uh if anyone wants to follow your work do you have a online research profile you'd like to direct people to
2: yeah absolutely i, I don't have the url but you can just do a google search for ResearchGate and uh, ethan c jackson
1: awesome thank you very much thank you so that's all the time we have tonight as always gradcast is a production of the society of graduate students at the university of western ontario you can find our podcast on iphone on google uh, on spotify now as well and on our website at gradcast.ca if you're interested in coming on the show yourself whether to be a guest or to come help and host and produce the show send us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com You can catch our show on the air every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on CHRW Radio Western. Thank you and have a great night.
0: The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for
1: us by Matthew Becker.